Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is December 8th, and our reading comes from Jude chapter 1, the only chapter of Jude. Beginning in verse 3, Jude says this, Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for that. They have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is still a struggle today. Some people teach and believe that God's grace is a license for sin. In other words, because we've received God's grace, then we can live any old way we like. However, that is a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. Let me say it this way. The grace that will save you is also grace that changes you. So grace is not just God overlooking my sin. Grace transforms my life. So the gospel message is when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I don't just get a pass into heaven and my nature in person is basically unaffected. No, when I put my faith and trust in Christ, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says God takes out my hard, stubborn, independent, rebellious heart and gives me a soft, tender, responsive, sensitive heart. So something fundamentally changes in my nature. Now, even though I'm not perfect, I desire to move towards God and to please him. So I get a new heart. Secondly, I was dead spiritually. And when I say dead spiritually, I mean I was separated from God. I was alive physically, but not alive spiritually. Well, when I trust Jesus, I went from being dead to being spiritually alive because his spirit came into my body and was connected to my spirit and it brought me to life spiritually. And so now the Bible said the Holy Spirit lives in me and is moving me to follow his decree. So the spirit of God is in us to produce his life and character in us. Now, that change doesn't happen instantly and it doesn't even happen quickly. But I can look back on my 26 years of of intentionally pursuing Jesus and see how the Spirit of God has been working to produce His life in me, to heal me, to grow me, to help me to understand who I am in Christ, to produce character, to release vision, to transform my life. So God doesn't just, listen, when you trust in Jesus, God doesn't just give us a pass to heaven. Now you get to go to heaven. Now you're forgiven. Live any old way you want, but now you're forgiven. No, no, no. That's not the gospel. The gospel is when we trusted Jesus, we came into a relationship with God. We were born again, born into his family. His spirits come to live inside of us. And the grace that saves us is also a grace that is transformed. 
transforming us. Now watch this. Verse 5, I want to remind you, and you already know these things. Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but then later destroyed them who did not remain faithful. So God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, but because of their unfaithfulness allowed a generation to die off in the desert, experience judgment. Verse 6, I remind you of the angels who did not stay within their limits of authority God gave them. And you can read about that in Genesis 6. Instead, they procreated with humans, and you had these basically demigods in the Old Testament. They were part human, part divine, angelic, and it created a mess, which is part of what led to the flood, where God had to, to wipe that race out of the earth. Well, again, God's judgment against their rebellion, and he mentions it again in Sodom and Gomorrah. So here's the thing that Jude wants us to understand, is that although God loves us, and God is a God of grace and mercy and compassion and patience, that's true, but eventually God's patience runs out and his judgment begins. So how do we reconcile these two ideas? God is a God of love, and he's a God of judgment. Here's how we reconcile it. God's judgment is an act of love. You say, well, how can that be? Because God brings judgment into the world in order to limit sin and the painful consequences of sin in our world. So again, when you think about the examples there, God allowed Israel to stay in the wilderness for 40 years so that that generation that had no faith could die off so that a new generation who knew how to trust God could go into the promised land to establish his kingdom. So really his judgment was in order to limit sin and the effect of sin own the kingdom of God and the people of God. Same thing with those angels. God's judgment in the flood was to limit sin that was covering the whole earth. You remember in that moment, the Bible says that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. People were independent, rebellious, immoral. Well, God's judgment is an act of love against sin in order to limit sin and the effects of sin. Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. God's judgment is an act of love to limit sin and the impact of sin on our world. So God is able to see and to understand that all, all from a macro level. And of course, he is omniscient and understands and knows all things, is able to utilize judgment as an expression of love for the benefit of the majority. Now, Verse 8, in the same way, these people claim authority from their dreams. They live immoral lives. They defy authority. They scoff at supernatural beings. And then he goes on to say, these people act like unthinking animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them. They follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. And the idea is sometimes... People who teach this message, they rely, instead of relying on the truth, they rely on their feelings. And you see that in our culture today. Our feelings have become elevated above the truth and above logic and even above science, right? And so if I feel a certain thing, then it must be true. 
Well, that's ridiculous. So, for for example, one of the most ridiculous expressions of this is people who are claiming now that they identify as an animal. I feel like I'm a cat inside. Well, that's completely ridiculous. And we've elevated our feelings, what we think we feel above the truth of what God's Word says, above logic, and above even science. We've just kind of thrown all that out the window, and our feelings have become the authority. And and Jude is just saying, listen, that's dangerous, and it's destructive. And the reason it brings God's judgment is because God can see how dangerous that is for culture and how everybody suffers when we embrace that type of of philosophy for life. And so God's judgment is actually an expression of love in order to limit sin and the pain that sin causes in our culture. Verse 12, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they're like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They're like crowds blow, clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They're like trees in autumn. They are doubly dead for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. In other words, when somebody who believes that is in church and celebrating the Lord's Supper and pretending to be a follower of Jesus... They're doing all that religious stuff, but the truth is there's no fruit in their life. In other words, there's no grace, mercy, and peace in their life. There's no love for other people in their life. What they're only concerned about is themselves. The very self-centered, he says. Verse 16, these people are grumblers, complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. So not only are they self-centered, they are deceiving and manipulative. Verse 20, but you, dear friends must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you'll keep yourself safe in God's love. So in the face of all of that, what do we do? We have the body of Christ. We had the family of God. And we work to build each other up in our faith, build each other up in our love, build each other up in our maturity. And so the body of Christ protects us from being swept away and indoctrinated by our culture. You remember what Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be squeezed into the mold that this world is trying to squeeze us into. Well, how do we avoid that? Well, one of the ways is that the church, the body of Christ, provides us some protection so we're not swept away by secular culture and the philosophy and the thinking of this world. Verse 22, And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Oh, this is so important. Again, that also means in our culture, our tendency is to believe, well, I don't want to interfere with somebody else. I don't want to impose what I believe on somebody else. No, no. We stand on the truth 
And because we love our brothers and sisters, because we love people in the church, we're fighting for each other's freedom, fighting for each other's theology, helping each other to have a biblical worldview so we can walk with God and live in the truth and experience his best and impact the world for Jesus. But that requires all of us at times to challenge one another if we see someone who's getting off the path, who's losing their faith, who's not thinking about an issue correctly, who's getting caught up in culture, who's getting distracted or deceived. We have to work together to help and protect and fight for one another, motivated by our love for each other, doing it with gentleness and grace and compassion, but making sure we're standing on the truth and we're helping protect one another. Man, what an encouraging word, right? Because we live in a culture where all of us, all of us are in a battle for our soul and our mind and our families and our friends, right? Culture is trying to sweep us away and we got to stand together on the truth, not only for the sake of our own spiritual life and condition, but for the sake of all those around the world who don't know Jesus yet. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this encouraging word. God, we're so grateful that you're a God of love. And Lord, sometimes your love is expressed in judgment because you know what is best for us. And God, I pray that we would not get caught up and swept away by culture. But Lord, we'd stand on the truth and that our life would be full of the fruit of the Spirit. And that, God, we would protect each other and help one another in this battle, man, for our souls, especially for our children and our young people today. God, give us the ability together to help them learn to walk with you in a very real and tangible way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks again for being with me today. hope that encourages you. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.